Welcome to Dark Adaptation, and thank you for joining our new segment. Missing, Murdered, Mysterious is an ongoing miniseries where we highlight unsolved cases of mysterious deaths and missing people, with a focus on BIPOC in North America. BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, is an acronym for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. Sadly, many BIPOC deaths are poorly handled by officials, leaving the families with more questions than answers when it comes to the case of their loved one. The death of Ada Elaine Brown is one of those cases. We've learned a Canadian woman is missing. Family says they have done all that was in their hands to find their loved one. I just want him to make it home to us. Pleading for help from the public to find their family member. The family is still waiting for some answers. The car was empty, the motor still running. The driver's side door was open. Ada Elaine Brown was from Talten First Nation in Telegraph Creek, British Columbia. She was born on October 11, 1959, to parents Jean and Willie Brown, and she was the youngest of eight siblings. According to her sister, Terry, her birth was a celebration. Quote, she was the first one of us born at the hospital. I didn't know what the big deal was. We all had to wait, and then she made this big appearance, and she was perfect. End quote. Ada was the youngest and the most loved, the prettiest and the funniest. She was the life of the Brown family. When Terry was 10, she and her brother were taken by an Indian agent and forced into residential school. Terry says, quote, My mother begged to keep her. She was the baby, Ada. And they said, Okay, but you have to let us take these other two. So they took us. But she was lucky. She didn't have to go. End quote. Residential school didn't break up this family. They remained close as the years went on, especially the siblings, and Ada would confide in her sisters. In 2001, Ada was a 41-year-old mother of two and someone who was deeply loved by her children and family. Sadly, the men in Ada's life didn't treat her with the deep love her family did. Ada confided in her sisters that the man she was in a relationship with was both physically and verbally abusive towards her. Ada's sisters and daughters attempted to intervene to stop the relationship, but they were unable to get her away from her abusive partner. Abusive relationships are never easy to leave, and sadly, this isn't a situation specific to Ada. Thousands of people live in fear of their abusive partner, but the fear of leaving the relationship is even greater. The stakes are potentially much higher if they leave. The abuse survivor might fear further violence, like harm to their children or other loved ones. Often, abusers have control over the relationship, including money and contact with people outside the relationship. Leaving the relationship might leave the survivor further isolated or in financial ruin. These are broad examples, and every situation is unique, but what is the same across the board for people in abusive relationships is that it's never as easy as just leave. On April 9th, 2001, one of Ada's sisters received a phone call from the RCMP. Ada's lifeless body had been found in a hotel room in Prince George, British Columbia, and the sister needed to handle the paperwork related to the death. The RCMP immediately told the sister that Ada had died of natural causes. This premature assumption was made within hours of Ada's death. 
A criminal investigation wasn't initiated, and the autopsy wasn't even concluded yet. The family wondered, how can they conclude our sister died of natural causes if they didn't investigate and they hadn't even finished the autopsy report yet? The autopsy report is something the family was desperate to see, but they wouldn't receive the report for nearly a year. In the meantime, all they could do was wait for their sister's body to come home so a proper funeral could be arranged. When Ada finally came home, her sisters went to the funeral home to view her and make burial arrangements. They were horrified. Ada was barely recognizable. She had been severely beaten. She had bruises on her face and two black eyes. Terry remembers, quote, We could barely recognize her. She had obviously been beaten. She was bruised. My older sister looked at me and asked me, Are you sure that's her? The extreme injuries to Ada's face added more questions to the family's growing suspicions. Ada's death was attributed to natural causes very quickly, which never sat right with them. Now they were looking at Ada's body, and they were certain the police were far too quick to label it. They were far too quick to evade an official investigation. And it was apparent. Police had made up their minds from the moment Ada was found. Ada's sisters finally received the autopsy report and associated documents from the coroner's office nearly a year after their sister's death. The cause of death was listed as a subdural hemorrhage, specifically a brain aneurysm. As the sisters continued reading, the report mentioned previous assaults experienced by Ada, with a specific note that Ada had two black eyes when she died. The note continues, stating five days prior to her death, Ada told a doctor she had been assaulted by an unknown female downtown. Ada had gone to the doctor a couple times leading up to her death to treat a headache, but instead of proper examination, she was sent home with Tylenol after two visits. Three days later, Ada was found dead in the hotel room. The sisters knew that Ada had been experiencing a headache in the days leading up to her death, but they didn't know about the alleged assault. They were confident, however, that her death wasn't caused by the headache. From an official standpoint, the cause of death couldn't be related to the alleged assault, but it couldn't be excluded as a possibility either. Because of these circumstances, the coroner's office classified Ada's death as undetermined. It's important to note that two black eyes are not a side effect or a result of a brain aneurysm. In fact, it is incredibly rare for a brain aneurysm to cause subdural hemorrhaging. Subdural hemorrhaging or subdural hematomas, are usually the result of serious head trauma. For example, repeated severe blows to the head and face, which would also cause bruising and black eyes. The attack by an unknown female downtown can't be proven, but it's not uncommon for victims of intimate partner violence to blame their injuries on things and people other than their abuser. They fell down the stairs, they tripped on a curb, they walked into a door, they were roughhousing with a friend or family member. You get the idea. Even though we don't know if the unknown female assailant is real, we do know that Ada's abuse at the hands of her partner was real and is corroborated by her children and her sisters. Ada's family believes that if it is true that she died from a brain aneurysm, the subdural hemorrhaging was not a result of the aneurysm, but rather the aneurysm occurred after the subdural hemorrhaging, which was caused by a violent beating. They strongly believe the man who was extremely abusive towards her is responsible for her death. Terry said, quote, He was known as a shady guy, 
the street guy. He was known to be really mean to her, to beat her. She told my older sister a lot of this. She said it herself. If I ever die, it is because of him. End quote. This man has never been criminally charged with abuse against Ada or in her death. The family doesn't even know how many people were actually questioned or looked into by the RCMP at the time of Ada's death, or if anyone was thoroughly questioned or looked into at all. The family questions the overall lack of investigation by the RCMP, how Ada's death was so easily dismissed by officials, and the glaring inconsistencies in the autopsy report versus what the RCMP told the sister on the phone. Carrie believes many people failed Ada. Officials, police, the doctor she confided in about her headaches. There's too many cases of Indigenous women and girls being failed by the institutions around them. A case that comes to mind is that of Tina Fontaine, a 15-year-old First Nations girl that disappeared from downtown Winnipeg, Manitoba on August 8, 2014. Nine days after she was last seen, her body was found wrapped in plastic and a duvet cover in Red River, but an autopsy was unable to conclusively determine her cause of death. In the days leading up to her disappearance, Tina interacted with police constables, child and family service workers, youth shelter employees, and even medical personnel and all of them failed her. Another sad but common theme is that many deaths of Indigenous women and girls are attributed to natural causes or classified as undetermined. And often this is due to dismissal and ignorance on the police's end. Today, Ada is resting in a cemetery in Watson Lake, Yukon, beside her mother. Ada Elaine Brown is forever remembered as someone who was outgoing, fun to be around, beautiful and sweet. Her sisters, Terry and Kitty, remembered and honored Ada in a touching video posted on YouTube by the Native Women's Association of Canada, which is linked in our show notes. In the video, they talk about how Ada's children have children of their own, but Ada didn't live long enough to experience being a grandmother because she was taken from this world. They believe their beloved sister was murdered, but no one has been charged with Ada's death, and the RCMP considered her case closed. Her family has been fighting for answers for the inconsistencies and the lack of investigation into her death. If you have any information about the death of Ada Elaine Brown, who was murdered in Prince George, British Columbia, on April 9, 2001, please call the Carrier Sikini Tribal Family Services at 1-800-889-889. 6855. For years, communities all around North America have been drawing attention to the disproportionately high number of missing and murdered Indigenous women and the lack of investigatory work and resources that go into handling and solving their cases. By telling the story of women like Ada Elaine Brown, we not only honor their memory, but we help raise awareness and, most importantly, promote change. Of the nearly 4,000 instances of missing and murdered Indigenous women in Canada, a fraction of those have been officially reported. And of those reported cases, very few have been resolved. Terry said it best, quote, There must be policy change that directly addresses the issues that lead to tragedy for First Nation. There must be support systems that allow them to get work, to have stable homes, to be protected from criminals on the streets. These women died because racism was acceptable, sexism was acceptable, classism was acceptable. We had no value. If we were valued, 
the first woman who was murdered would have been investigated, end quote. Missing, Murdered, Mysterious will continue on a weekly basis, with new episodes available every Thursday. Each week, we will share the story of a person whose case is unresolved. Please share this episode so we can continue spreading Ada Elaine Brown's story, and hopefully, one day, we can help bring answers to her loved ones. I call it the missing white woman search syndrome. <laughs> if there's a missing white woman, we're gonna cover that every day. Black kids stay on the news cycle for about a day, maybe, and then they fall off the news cycle. An epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Indigenous women face a murder rate six times the national average.